The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Thessalonians chapter 5, starting from verse 12, reading to the end of the chapter. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Read all the brothers of the Holy Spirit. And I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to be with you. Lord Jesus, as we come to this passage now, we again ask that through your Holy Spirit you would indeed empower this to our hearts. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul who said that he did not come with eloquence of speech, but instead he wanted to come in weakness so that there would be a display of the Spirit's power. That is my prayer this morning. Prayer to be the prayers of each of our hearts that indeed we will listen and hear your word to us today and apply to our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are here in this final uh, section of, uh, of uh, 1 Thessalonians, this letter. Paul is really highlighting a number of essential things that are healthy to a general church community life. And then as we read through this passage, there are what's called 15, or there are around about 15 imperatives. There are things that are, that are fired at us in, in really rapid kind of fashion. Uh, and imperatives are those things which are, are like commands. They're, 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 they come with authority. They come with uh, a sense of, of, of trying to uh, highlight that which is, which is really important, which is really uh, vital and urgent for the people of God to be aware of and to put into practice. This uh, passage this morning is a very practical kind of section of the letter. Paul is 
coming to the close, and he wants to make sure that you know he really includes those things which he wants the people to uh, to really grab hold of and remember well. These uh, particular uh, aspects that we're going to be looking at this morning uh, reflects really certain attitudes and behaviours, if you like, for the uh, for the people of God in relation to living as maturing members of the community of faith. And uh, this morning we're going to look at them under under four headings. All right, these uh, these uh, uh, imperatives, and I've grouped them under under four headings. The first is instructions about leaders in the church. The second is about instructions as to how we are to treat one another. The third is instructions how we are to conduct ourselves towards God. And the final one is, is how, uh, instructions about spiritual discernment. So there, what, that's the, the way in which we're going to tackle this passage this morning, okay? So we're going to get right into it today because we've got a fair bit to, uh, to cover. So the first is, this, is the instructions for, uh, sorry, about leaders in the church. You see that in verses 12 to 13 of our passage this morning. Paul says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their works. Paul here, in speaking of those who are over us or over you, Paul is particularly speaking about those who exercise authority in the church. That being, uh, you know, in the context of the, uh, the New Testament church and many churches today, uh, pastors, elders, uh, deacons, those, that kind of role. But it also could, could be applied as well to, you know, perhaps, as, as we heard this morning in the prayer, particularly in terms of our family context as well, our parents and things like that. And it says, Paul says, that uh, we need to make sure that we are indeed respecting those who labor among us, who are over us in the Lord. Now that uh, term, uh, um, as we said, it speaks to pastors and elders. The New Testament specifically speaks uh, clearly about the elders carrying out an overseeing type of role, an authority kind of role within the Church of God. We see that in, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 where Paul writes, Pay careful attention, sorry, Luke writes, I should say, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Here Paul is making clear that for the, for the overseers, for the leaders in the church, they have a responsibility to watch over and care for the people. It's the Holy Spirit who has appointed them into these roles, has made them overseers in the church. They are to care for the church. And that care reflects a number of different ways or a number of different uh, aspects to their role. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. And particularly, we need to remember how important the church is. It says here, the church is that which is obtained by Christ's own blood. And so therein lies with the importance of the responsibility for those in authority over the church, that they are caring for those people whom Christ himself has redeemed by his own blood. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 1 to 3 says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, 
but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Paul speaks here about the, the, the role of elders is to shepherd the flock of God. If you think about the, the role of a shepherd in, uh, in biblical times, we know a shepherd was there to, uh, to care for the sheep, to make sure that the, the shepherd led them to, the, to, to good pasture and make sure they were well fed. He would, he would care for the sheep. Sometimes if a sheep got, you know, had, had got caught in, in a thicket or a thistle, uh, thistles, things like that, the shepherd would rescue them out of that. If the sheep was, was cast, it was on its back and its legs up in the air, the shepherd would need to come and, and turn it back over. The shepherd would also protect the sheep from, from wolves and, and, and predators that would come in and attack the flock. This role of shepherding is, is such a, a, an important and vast one. And this is the role which elders are to conduct within the family of God, to protect the sheep, to protect them from false teaching to care for the sheep, to walk alongside them and encourage them, to make sure that they're doing everything within their power for those sheep to flourish and be safe. So the role of, of, of elder, pastor, deacon within the church, these are the things which, you know, which were highlighted here as the responsibilities that we have. As I said also, that can also, you know, we can bring that into a concept of the home and caring. What a special and important job you have with your children. And how you too are to nurture and shepherd and care and watch over those whom God has entrusted in your care. And as we think about elders and, and pastors too, passages like 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, they point out a number of different qualities and, and, and traits and characteristics uh, for elders and pastors. And if you uh, seen the, uh, the forms that get put out over the past few weeks about the nominations for elders here in this church. Those particular qualities and traits are listed in that document. And it's important to be working through those and, and looking at the people that we want to nominate in those roles. Do they conform with these, with these things we read about in Scripture? Here in First Thessalonians 5, though, Paul mentions only just a couple. He says, those... We have to respect those who labor among you and who admonish you. He said we have to respect them. That term respect actually means to, to acknowledge, to, to acknowledge them as leaders and to recognize the special role that these people have within the church. He goes on to say that we are not only to respect them, to acknowledge them, but we have to esteem them, esteem them highly, highly in love. Or to esteem something is to indeed hold it in, in high regard. See the value of it. Interesting that, that term that's translated in our Bibles very highly is a strong adverb. It actually means superabundantly. In other words, we're to, we're to hold these leaders in, our, in, in, church, in churches, we're to hold them very highly in, in regard and value them extremely. And we do that out of love. Love for them, but also love for God. He commands us to love our leaders in this way. This, same, this love is, is the agape love, the same love that God has towards, shown towards us. As one commentator puts it, he says, it is the love that chooses to act for the well-being of its objects, and often sacrificially. He would include all things that constitute you know, guidelines of Scripture for loving one another. 
it would include the, the negative things like refusing to gossip and malign and criticize our leaders. It also includes the positive in terms of, of getting alongside them too and, and helping them in ministry and expressing thankfulness and appreciation and encouragement to our leaders. reason for this particular leader uh, we to hold our leaders in this regard is because of the ministry they are meant to carry out amongst the people. They are to be known for their labor. That word labor refers to hard work. It refers to a really uh, a difficult toil. Anyone familiar with gardening will know what it's like to to dig a garden, to get in the garden and pull out weeds and all that sort of thing. And how, you know, when you're in the garden for quite a long time and the, the, the back's aching and the, the sweat's coming off the, uh, off the brow and that sort of thing, you know, it is hard, toilsome work, isn't it? Being a gardener. It's, that's the kind of image that we have here at our leaders. They have to work diligently and, and toil at the work of, of, of God here in the church, caring for, for the people of God. They had to work tirelessly for the benefit of God's people. You know, pastors, elders, whatever leaders in the church, they are not worthy of respect just because of their, their, the title they hold, their office or their position. No, they earn the respect because of their labor and their character. Another important uh, role that Paul says here is not only are they to labor and work hard, but they're also to admonish us. They have a responsibility to, uh, to get alongside people and to, uh, and to instruct us, to sometimes rebuke us and even correct us when we ourselves perhaps you know, lose sight of, of who we should be in Christ Jesus and the children God has called us to be. These sort of things are the things that we should be keeping in mind as, as the church of God here, as we, we, we you know, consider over the next few weeks who to appoint to the role of elder here in the church. Having the proper respect and esteem for our leaders, as well as uh, you know, as leaders who work hard for the benefit of the church, is a really key ingredient to having a church that is at peace with one another. Paul talks about that. You know, at the end of verse 13, where he says, Be at peace among yourselves. You know, having a, a godly leadership operating in the way that the, 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 the Apostle Paul writes here under the inspiration of God's Spirit is a means by which we can bring about that, that or keep that peace within the life and ministry of the church. The leaders remember that. Remember that the role that you have here is a role of, of, of such. You know, importance. The importance that Jesus has placed on that. And we cannot treat it lightly. We must be doing all within our human capability and with the help of the Holy Spirit to be carrying out that, that role, that responsibility, that position that Jesus has called us to. Paul goes on to say that, you know, we uh, respect these people. But, uh, you know, we, we need to make sure that, uh, that you know, we are acknowledging those in those leadership roles and recognize that, you know, as our church, we have collectively, the church membership has, brought, has elected those people into that place, into that position in the church. 
And as we read about later in the New Testament, we see that we had to make their job an easy job, a pleasant job, a joyful job. We do that with experience of peace, which we've spoken about here in this place. But not only is the peace fostered that way, it's also fostered in the way we treat one another. And that's the second of our points this morning. Instructions on how we are to treat one another in verses 14 to 15. Where the apostle writes, and we urge you, brothers, we exhort you, we, we, you know, we really strongly, strongly urge you to, to pursue this particular, to pursue these things in our lives. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all and see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. The Apostle Paul begins by saying that we are to, to warn, to, to admonish or to warn those who are idle. You know, idleness seems to be a thing in, in this particular church. It's been a real issue in this church in Thessalonica. You know, Paul has already hinted at it in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, and he'll return to it again in the second letter. That term idleness actually means something which is, which is out of order or, or undisciplined. That's what Paul is talking about here. And in the Thessalonian church, there were those people, those believers, who were, who were particularly uh, not really pulling their weight, so to speak. They were sponging off the goodwill of others because they had given up their jobs in expectation of Jesus' imminent return. And what can happen here is this kind of behavior and attitude can quickly upset the peace within the Christian community. You know, when people are being like that, when they are pulling their weight, when they're just expecting others to be there at their beck and call and to, and to serve them when there's a level of, of selfishness, it leads to resentment and anger and bitterness within the church as well. You know, being part of a church family means that that we ourselves are to follow in Jesus' footsteps. We're to seek to, 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 to model our lives after his life and how, how he lived his life. We're to be people who seek to serve rather than be served. In other words, not just leave it to the few. Each and every one of us, in some way, shape or form, has the capacity and should be seeking to make a contribution in some form or another to the church family and to the ministry, to our mission together as the people of God here in this world. If you think back to, to uh, 1 Corinthians and, uh, and Romans 12, we, we read about, you know, the, the, um, Paul there speaks about the church as a body. And so when, you know, you have the body of Christ here, particularly in the local context of North Pine Baptist Church, we think of the body when we, we, we don't have people who are contributing to the ministry, although they've been gifted by the Holy Spirit in order to be a part of that. Well, it's, a, it's akin to having a body that's, that's missing digits or missing limbs or is, you know, not, doesn't have sight or hearing or taste. about here that one way we can serve each other is, is, to, is just to encourage the faint-hearted and, and help the weak. That term, 
try hard it literally means little soul that it's it's the spiritual condition of, of someone who is who is discouraged and, and despondent and maybe even depressed you know the circumstances and challenges of life that, that come at us can sometimes get to that place of where they just overwhelm us can't they and they can overwhelm us to the point where we can be sometimes tempted to think to just give in to just forget about it all and just, you know, forget about all the, all of the uh, you know, the things we, we, uh, we, we, we know that, that God has, has taught us in His Word. I've, countless people that I've, that I've met over my years of, of being a Christian in churches, the number of people who have got to a point in their lives where things have just crowded in on them and, and have, have just ended up walking away completely from the faith. It's such a sad, sad thing to see. We see it here in this church as well. We need each and every one of us to get alongside one another, to encourage one another. Now, these believers in Thessalonica, they were suffering persecution for their faith. And perhaps that in itself was causing some of these people to reject the faith and to walk away from God. Paul says here, it's these people particularly we need to draw alongside and and to encourage them to keep going. And folks, every single one of us can play a part in that, can't we? Every single one of us can. When it comes to the weak, we're called to help them also. I'm commenting on this particular verse, a Baptist preacher, H.G. Charles, who says this, he says, this particular statement refers to those that Romans 14.1 calls weak in the faith. Their faith is not strong enough to resist temptation. It's not strong enough to sometimes live obediently or to endure hardship. But it's easy to criticize these people and for us to develop a sense of spiritual pride, thinking of ourselves as better than them, in fact, even looking down our noses at them. And yet, Romans 15.1 tells us or exhorts us, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the world, not to judge, not to criticize, not to reject or to, or to despise the weak, but indeed to help them. And the, the image here that, is, that, that comes through in the original language is this image of, of someone coming alongside another and actually putting their arms around them and sometimes even actually bearing the weight. You know, if, you'll be, if any of you uh, watch the sport, you know sometimes when a, when a player gets injured on the sporting field and they bring the, uh, the people out, the, med, you know, the medical team, and they grab the person and they sort of get on either side and they help carry them off the field. That's the image that we've got here. We need to be doing that together, getting alongside one another, and at times actually carrying each other, bearing one another's burdens as Galatians 16 9. I think I might have missed a few here. Those who know your right and encourage the same heart and help them, but also we are to be patient with everyone. It means we are to be long suffering. You know, patience is not. Perseverance in difficult circumstances. It's not just perseverance in difficult circumstances. But it is also 
long-suffering with difficult people in the midst of trying circumstances and doing that without complaining. That's what this long-suffering means here, being patient with one another. And sometimes this can be really hard, can't it? And it can be challenging. Because at times, in trying to help those around us, we can sometimes even get hurt by those we're trying to help. So often we can feel hurt by the actions. And, 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 and when we do, particularly if you know, that, that, that those are people that are particularly you know, uh, special to us and that sort of thing, those who are closest to us, we can get really hurt and we can suffer in justice. And when we do that, our natural response is to want to pay back, to get even. Yet here Paul instructs his readers to make sure that we do not repay anyone evil for evil. Now Paul writes more extensively on this subject in Romans, 7, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21, when he says this. He says, do not repay anyone, anyone evil for evil. Instead, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. There's that aspect of peace again that comes through. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this year, he's burning cold on his Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's, that's what should characterize us as the people of God. So much of our world today is so much looking towards people's rights and, and justice and things like that. We want justice. We want our rights to be observed. And when they're not, then we want to basically do whatever we can to harm those people who are, who are harming us. But as the people of God, we ourselves need to be different. We need to stand out from the world in this regard. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Here Paul tells us this is to rejoice always. Well, it's reminiscent of what he tells the, the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, where he writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. The three things, rejoice, prayer, thanksgiving, three essential ingredients 
for living the Christian life, for how we are to live in response to God. The Christian can rejoice always because our joy is not based in circumstances, but in God Himself. We don't base our joy in circumstances, but in God, who is the one who is over all circumstances. Circumstances change, but God doesn't change. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, as one who has come to Him as our Saviour, we have got the great joy of knowing that we are indeed His children, that we belong to God. That God loves us beyond all measure. He's proven that to us on the cross. We can be assured that God is with us all the time. He's close. His spirit within us. He is always with us. We can be assured that God understands all of the things that we go through in our lives. That He understands the level of, of hurt and suffering sometimes that we feel in our hearts. He himself has endured great suffering on our behalf. We are assured from the scriptures that God has promised that he will give us what we need in order to resist temptation in our lives, to stay strong in the faith and to bring glory to him. And of course, we can be assured that we have that eternal inheritance in Jesus Christ. And therefore, faith joyfulness Joyfulness because of these truths. Joyfulness in God needs to be a continual habit that we need to work on for our own spiritual growth. As well as being joyful, we also can make prayer an integral part of our daily lives. Practicing regularly, talking to God. You know, it's great to, to start our day you know, talking with God, maybe to have that our quiet time, to spend time in His Word, allowing, you know, the Spirit to speak to us through His Word, or if you use a devotional, you know, doing that. But if that's the full extent of, of our communication with God each day, then we need to, we need, we're really missing out. You know, if I was just to say, you know, wake up in the morning and say to my wife, hi, hi, hi honey, how are you today? And then not speak to her for the rest of the day until the next morning, then there would be a real issue in that relationship, don't you think? Yes, thanks, thanks. Yes. It would be. It's the same with God. You know, God is, is so involved in our lives, and He wants us to be talking with Him continually throughout the day. You know, the things that are, that are weighing, weighing on us, bring those things to God. The things that we're joyful about and, and thankful for, bring them to God and praise Him for them. Book written a number of years ago by a fellow called a, a, a monk, right? Brother Andrew, his name was. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. Anyone read that book? Yeah, a few of you. Now, through that, he was, he was determined that he was actually going to, to make it a, a, a habit of his to be talking to God throughout the day about all that he was doing in the world. Now, realistically, you know, there's going to be times throughout the day where we can't do that. But with, with, you know, if we're working and we, we need to concentrate, we need to make sure that we're giving our employer, you know, we need to work for, for the money that we get there and we need to do a good job. 
it doesn't stop us from, you know, from, from sending up, you know, those, those beautiful arrow prayers at times, you know, that we just shoot up to God right there in the moment. speaking to God just maybe once a day. And that's good, but how about we, we get better at spending time with God and, and speaking to Him in every different aspect of our life? Not only do we make prayer an integral part of our lives, but we are also be praying for each other. We come to God, we need to make sure, we need to remember that He is the one, all that we have comes from God. We need to be thankful for, for that which God provides us with in His Word. I was just uh, telling some uh, folks, you know, just not long ago, that, you know, it's so easy to be critical and to, and, to, and to whine and complain about things in our lives. It's harder to be thankful, isn't it? It is harder. And sometimes we've got to train ourselves to do that. And I encourage each and every one of us to, to, you know, to, to make it a priority in our lives to find things that we are thankful for and to praise God for. You know, as we, as we put these things into, into place in our lives, the, you know, the, uh, the rejoicing and, 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 and the prayer, the, the, the daily part of the, 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 the speaking with God throughout the day, as we develop this thankful heart, a thankful heart is a joyful heart, folks. As we as we, you know, as we see these things, as we, we seek to, you know, develop these things in our lives, we'll find that, you know, all of a sudden we will, you know, start to fulfill a lot of these other imperatives that are here in the scriptures as well. Of course, Paul reminds us that these things are indeed God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Along with our sanctification in, in chapter 4 and verse 3, God's will is that we would indeed be people who are joyful, who joyfully wait, praying without ceasing, and giving thanks in all circumstances. The moment you might think, you know, I really don't know what God's will is for my life right now. And if you've been reading through First Thessalonians and following along with us, you know, through this before, you'll see that there are two specific things which God highlights as His will for His people. That is our sanctification, that is our being made more and more like Jesus, and these things that we've just mentioned here in the passage. Finally, Paul speaks about, he speaks about instructions about spiritual discernment. You see that in verses 19 to 20. Look what he says. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of corruption. And that's you, that as you plunge through this particular passage this morning, as I was reading through this, I'm thinking, Lord, how on earth, how on earth am I meant to do this kind of thing? And I think about, you know, me as an individual. I think, Lord, there is so much here. I think, man, I fall short in so many of these areas. You know, we can't do it in our humanness. We need the help of others, don't we? We truly need the help of others. Because life with God is life in the Spirit. Paul speaks about, you know, in Ephesians, keep in step with the Spirit. You know, do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. God's keeping our people 
to that spirit-filled people, where our lives are lived under the direction of and in the power of God's Holy Spirit at work within us. And we cannot hope to live this kind of life in our, on our own, or you know, in our own resources. The danger that Paul alerts us to here, though, is that we can quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. That is, we can, we can put out his fire or diminish his impact in our lives and in the church by our attitudes and our actions. When we quench the Holy Spirit, we also grieve the Holy Spirit. John MacArthur writes, quenching is what you do to the Spirit. Grieving is how he responds to what you give. Grieving speaks of the personal anguish of the Holy Spirit, anguish, I should say, of the Holy Spirit, when a person quenches the Holy Fire that is kindled in our hearts. Notice here that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is not just some impersonal force, but is indeed a person, the third person of the Godhead. And just as we can grieve one another, we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God by quenching the work of the Spirit in our lives. And in the community of Christ. When we quench the Holy Spirit and grieve Him, when we work against His purposes, particularly that purpose of sanctifying us, of making us more holy like Jesus. Remember, you know, back uh, in, in John 17 and verse 17, Jesus said, You know, Father, sanctify them. Speaking of the believers, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. So the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and uses the word of God in order to do that sanctifying work within us. And we quench Him. We quench the Spirit or we inhibit the Spirit when we work against this purpose. When we inhibit in Him in His work in any way. When we don't give the Holy Spirit scope to, to work in the, the freedom or the scope to work in our lives or in the, in the community of faith. You know, sometimes we can, we can get so entrenched in, in thinking we're only comfortable, you know, in, in, on, this, on this road. We're only comfortable within, these kind of, within this kind of framework. But the Holy Spirit is much bigger than that. And folks, sometimes we can, you know, and we don't necessarily do it um, um, maliciously or we don't do it sort of like intentionally, but sometimes we can do it intentionally by thinking that this is how I think the Holy Spirit should work and therefore I'm not going to accept anything else apart from what I think is right. But we've got to keep coming back to the Word of God and testing things. And Paul goes on to say that. Now, it's interesting in the context that Paul is using it here, he's using it in the context of, of, of the gathering of God's people. And he's saying that, you know, in that, in, in that way, we can also quench the work of the Spirit. We need to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to work amongst us. You know, I'm really, really thankful for our service leaders and our music teams and that sort of thing who lead us in our times of, of, of praise and worship to God, or people who lead us in prayer, you know, people who come and, 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 and give testimonies and things. But it's in, that, in those kind of contexts where we can sometimes be locked into a, a rigid kind of framework that we, we can sometimes inhibit the Spirit from working. And so we need to give with the Spirit those, those, those places to do that. Ways that the, 
Paul says here that we can quench the Spirit is by despising prophecies or treating them with contempt. Now, Paul doesn't specify what those prophecies are here. There are a few things I want us to know very, very clearly this morning about this, okay? Because godly, Bible-believing Christians, born-again believers, have debated for centuries the nature of prophecy and its role in the church. And I'm not going to go down that path, that rabbit line this morning, but what I want to do is I want to point out these things for us to keep in mind when it comes to prophecy, okay? It's that back in the first century, the church then did not have the, the complete canon of Scripture as we have it now. Okay, we have the totality of God's inspired revelation in His Word, in the Bible. Okay? So therefore, there is no more to be added to the revelation. And so prophecy, therefore, is not some new knowledge about God. Whatever you think prophecy is, it is not new knowledge about God. It is not new revelation. It might be taking the Word of God and perhaps contextualizing it to a particular situation or circumstances or personal application. It might take the form of admonition or exhortation that we've been talking about today, but it does not add to Scripture. And so if you hear someone say that this is God's revelation to me that no one's ever heard before, you can say, right, I'm not listening. Paul says, instead, we are to test everything. In other words, we can measure what we read and hear about the faith. We're to measure it firstly against Scripture. We need to make sure that it aligns with what the Bible teaches. Because if it doesn't, then again, we are to reject it outright. We're to measure it against Scripture, but we're also to test it in regard to whether or not it's accurate. It actually comes true. Deuteronomy 18 speaks about that. God says, if anyone ever speaks in my name, that, that you'll know that it's from me if it comes true. If it doesn't come true, it's not from me. We're also to test these prophecies in relation to the character of the person who's actually giving the prophecy. Jesus says that we will know false prophets not just by what they teach, but also by the fruit of their lives. You see that in Matthew 7. Folks, prophecy will always agree with Scripture. Prophecy will always bring glory to Jesus. It will always edify and build up the body of Christ, and it will always encourage obedience to God. And Paul concludes this section by saying that we are to instead hold fast to that which is good, that which is true, and abstain from every form of evil. That is right for the people of God who are to abstain from every form of evil in our lives. We're not only to affirm it, but we're to adhere to it. We're to pattern our lives after it. And we're to flee from all that goes against God and His word and His purposes. That's what Paul is leaving with the Thessalonian Christians and what he leaves with us as we come to the conclusion of this letter today. Paul is speaking here of a healthy community of faith. A healthy church. 
this is the kind of community life that we as God's people are called. Now, if we're a part of this, because God works in us to bring about the fruition, you see that in verses 23 and 24. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. That is the confidence we have. Amen? That's the confidence we have. But our prayer should be that each and every opportunity we have, we are seeking to follow this kind of pattern in our Well, as we've um, spent time in this particular passage this morning, as we said, it's a very practical passage. You know, it speaks a lot of, of behaviors and attitudes and actions of the people of God. Various things about our leaders, Lord, about how we treat one another, about how we live our lives in relationship to you, Lord, and how we can sometimes be guilty of thinking about you. Lord, help us as we go into this new year. Lord, help these things to, 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 to ring true to us. Lord, to, to stay with us. Don't just let us walk out these doors this morning and just forget all about what we've said. You know, it's like James says, Lord, in, in his letter, that we're not to, to look in the mirror and then walk away and forget what we look like. But as we look into the mirror of the Word of God, we're to see ourselves in light of it. And then we are to align ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit in ways which conform to the Word of God. Lord, so please continue to do that work of transformation in our lives that you have promised us because you are indeed. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.